Welcome to Didn't Get the Memo, a podcast dedicated to interviewing and gaining insight from ultra-successful individuals who departed from convention to achieve their success. So you're, so you're doing, the, doing all right in properties, you're developing, you've got your rental portfolio, um, and then uh, 2000, what, 7, 2008, Lehman comes along. 2008, wasn't it? When did, when Two, did it? Yeah, 2008, Lehman Brothers. Yeah. How, how, does, how does that impact you? Well, I mean, I was, um, I was sort of coming to an end. I built a couple of uh, sort of 7,000 square foot dwellings in a place called Cobham, which is where Chelsea Football Club, they just moved there, so all the prices were going crazy. Uh, we sort of got wind of what was going on and there might be a turn in the market, but we were just sort of exchanging on both of those properties. At the time, I think they were around two and a half, three million quid. Exchanging to sell them. Exchanging to sell. Right. So we were, you know, when I say we, I'm in Churchill Homes, very fortunate. Uh, those were signed up as the crash happened. So, and no one really knew how bad it was going to be. It was only really sort of three or four months later, after, long after the money was in the bank. Because we'd never seen anything like that, I suppose, in... In our time, right, we would have seen, you know, crashes and what have you, but yeah. nothing like to the extent of Lehman. No, I mean, that really, I mean, it affected the share, the, you know, everyone was talking about the banks crashing, um, Lloyds even, and they were talking, you know, what's going to happen, the government bailout. So there was all that going on. It was very uncertain times. So um, it was quite scary. I mean, I was fortunate because, I, as I said, I was really about timing and um, I'd cashed in on some properties that I had. Um, and I mean, I still had the portfolio, the rental portfolio, but that wasn't really relevant because I wasn't going to, to market. Yeah. So it was, uh, in fact, it drove the rentals. There was, the rentals went doing very well. So, um, so I had a bit of cash, and the rental market had gone up. So it's actually so it's like win-win, really. Well, really, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Thank it's you, weird. I seem to make a sort of, I seem to do all right in downturns of markets, but that's just how it's been. I don't know if that's you know, I don't know if I've done that consciously or, but it's that's basically what happened. Yeah, in 2008, um, the crash uh, led me to start thinking what else might I get involved with because um, property market was finished in effect. There wasn't, you couldn't be buying any land sure. or doing any development. So what's your thinking then? And again, just trying to understand your thought process in times of, it, there was adverse times for many people. You were fortunate that you had cash, cash mm. at bank. You had an income coming through your rental properties, but still you needed to pivot and, and do something else. So what was your thought process at that time? Well, I mean, I was sitting, uh, I was sort of taking a little bit of a holiday. I was thinking I was actually quite concerned. You know, what will I do? Because I can't sit on my arse for two or three years waiting for this to recover. Um, and I had a lot of friends who were driving... Ferraris and Rolls Royces going up back up to St George's Hills in Weybridge to their five million pound mansions. So we're sitting there with me having a coffee with me saying, I can't believe what's happening, James. You know what I mean? The, uh, the loans, my loans have been called in. I can't even get an overdraft anymore at the bank. Can't afford to pay the children's school fees. Cancelled the holiday. I was thinking, is this right? This, these guys have been like, mm. they're, they're made like financial people. heroes. Well, yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, this doesn't sound correct. Um, and a lot of them got ruined, really, by the, uh, by well, by the situation and the banks, uh, because the banks obviously tightened up, called a lot of the loans in, ruined a lot of good people, to mm. be honest. Um, and I thought, well, actually, look, um, I could probably 
step in here. And then I started thinking about how could I lend some of these guys some money securely. Um, and the more I looked into it, I thought, well, they've all got like they've all got cars. I thought cars, the cars really was where because it was my field of expertise. And these were unencumbered cars, were they? Well, some of them were, some weren't. I mean, I could only do the ones that weren't, or I would have to pay the finance companies and then sit or sit behind them. So started looking at that as an option. Then I thought, well, actually, if I'm going to do the cars, I could do any other. I could do if they've got a piece of art, I might be able to do that, or a wine collection. Then I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just do everything that they've got. Uh, but I don't really know it a lot about everything. <laughs> And I looked at the sort of pawnbroking sector and I thought, well, let's go online and have a little look if there's anyone who does high-end pawnbroking. And really, I, what I found was it was quite archaic in its approach to lending. You know, yeah, they'd have a little gold watch on a sort of beige website saying if you've got some gold. And I was thinking, this is a bit weird. Why aren't they doing... And I realised, well, they weren't really set up for it. You know, they didn't understand those sort of, sort of assets. And I... And they've probably been doing what they've been doing for a hundred years, and that would work well for them, and it still does work well for them. But I thought there was a gap in the market where we could do some sexier stuff, lend against these bigger assets, and um, that's where it all started for me. Did you speak to anyone in the sector at all? Well, we sort of made inroads and made inquiries, and I think we were sort of looked on as if we were not going to last too long. <laughs> so we, oh, well, did you tell them what you were thinking? Well, I phoned up the, one of the guys at, on the board, and I said, look, well, how do you apply for a licence? You know, And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, we want to do some cars. Some he said, well, you know, you might want to not get involved with that. It doesn't seem like really what we do, but I'll come down and talk to you. Anyway, we pressed on. and um, Try and talk you out of it? Well, it wasn't really a talking out of it, but it was almost like a, you're not really going to be around for too long, mate, if you carry on like this. This is not what we do. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I was adamant that that would be a thing that would be a, a service that would be able to... So you were confident in your own money, notwithstanding what the experts, the, the head honchos, if you like, in the sector were telling you, you thought, you know what? Well, I, the I sector was telling me that it wasn't really a yeah. great idea, but I, that sort of... You know, I, I I knew it was something already by then that wasn't done, and I knew, and I just felt that it was needed. So, uh, the fact that it wasn't done, and that they were looking at it as if it wasn't really a thing or was a bit risque, was actually a bonus, really, because if they thought it was all right, they would have been doing it already. But many people, <clears throat> again, coming back to you now and what you're thinking and how James thinks and how he's managed to build this, and this is what I'm trying to get from this series. Many people would have listened to those who were in the know and said, you know what, it's not the right thing to do because it can't mm. be done. You had that mental fortitude to say, do you know what, they're wrong. Well, I told you before, I don't really listen very well, did <laughs> yeah. I? So, so those teachers did teach me something. <laughs> That's a strength, obviously. Well, well, I mean, I wasn't really, yeah, I was, I'd made up my mind by then that this was going to be a good thing. I mean, I'd looked at I'd also read an article in the Times about uh, the Americans... Um, uh, using you know uh, people in America using art as a me as a um, asset for funding. Right. So they were borrowing against their art portfolios, and I thought, well, this is interesting. This fits in with what I want to do here. Um, and uh, that's how it all started. Really, we went and got our, uh, we went and found a little sh premises in Weybridge, um, and it all kicked off from there. I mean, it was slow. I can't tell you that we opened the door and of we were flooded. You know, we sat there for months. The biggest problem was getting the word out there and people, because no one was sitting at home thinking, oh, there's a piece of art that we bought from a gallery from 100 grand last year. We could take that to a pawnbroker. They weren't even thinking about that. Mm. 
because you couldn't. Yeah. So um, the biggest challenge really was making the public aware that they had these options with their vehicles, with their wine collection, with their art and um, the other assets that we dealt with at the time. Uh, obviously, they knew about bits of gold and a bit of pawnbroking, and, but they didn't really give too much thought to some of the sexier assets that they had. They didn't know they could drive their Ferrari down to me and I would exchange that for a lump of cash by the end of the day. And it was instant as well. I mean, it was a, I think the service is absolutely fantastic for people who have a short-term cash need. And in fact, it's cheaper than borrowing from a bank mm. short-term. So I'm talking about up to, the contracts are for seven months, but if you pay the loan back within three months, there's no doubt it's cheaper than borrowing money from one of the big banks. I suppose when you look at arrangement fees, this valuation, this, that, the other. You probably won't get it anyway, but if you yeah. did jump through hoops and had a month or six weeks to wait for the application to go through, by the time you paid your arrangement fee, like you said, you probably might have to have life cover, all the other bolt-ons, Forget the interest rate, because that's a bit of a red herring. Mm. By the time they bolted you into everything else, I think it's we're cheaper, we're cheaper on that. Especially on the larger sums, you know, if you wanted to borrow 100 grand for me for a month, it's 2,900 quid to borrow it. Where can you go and borrow 100 grand for 2,900 yeah. quid? I don't know of anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, I mean, your business, and in, in, in anyone watches your the, the show, you know, Posh Porn, it's not a case of making money out of people's uh, misfortune. A lot of the um, people who are, who are shown on, on the series need that short-term cash to start businesses, to take advantage of opportunities. So you really are providing a valuable service, which is enabling people to move forward often. Yeah, well, I think you know the show covered all aspects of and all the different types of people that wanted to borrow money at different times in their lives. And yes, there are people that might be ill, may have been made unemployed, uh, may have had uh, um, VAT issues, may have tax issues, or may have, um, you know, there's, lots, there's a whole range of um, reasons why you might come to us. But in a lot of uh, cases, it was genuinely people who wanted to kickstart a business or had a business that they wanted to enlarge or make better or get another premises and thought, well, actually, I can go, I've got money. You know, some of them actually had money coming in or had an exit plan, mm. and it was short term. Like I said, you know, short term funding, it's not expensive. So uh, I can think of a client that was waiting for a house to be sold in Spain. It, six weeks later, he was back into me, paid me back. You know, it was, uh, I mean, that, or, or a property deal to go through, or some cashing in some shares, or. So we have those types of clients. Um, but as I said, we don't, they're not all that. You know, that some of them are genuine, uh, just. Uh, Average, uh, you know, it could, be, yep. it could be anything. It could be any reason why they might want to come into us. So, so the business is, it, it evolved through adversity of the marketplace. Mm. Um, many people have adverse situations, hence why they come here. Um, but those adverse situations, I don't, don't necessarily, as I say, mean misfortune for them. It may be that their time is not quite right, so they need to, to, mm. to plug the gap. How do you view adversity generally? as a tool for success and a tool to propel you forwards? Well, I mean, look, in down, you're going to, some businesses thrive in the adversity, and, uh, but I think the business genuinely, um, it's done well even you know, when the market's recovered. So the need for our services are there, regardless of whether uh, there's an economic downturn. It just so happens that you, the phone gets a little bit busier in those times. There's mm. no doubt, doubt about it. Um, and with, that's what really, you know, inspired us to 
uh, you know, um, come up with the idea in the first place. There's a downturn in the market and the need to fund borrowers was what inspired me to start the business. So it's no surprise that it does well in those times. So in, in times of adversity, I mean, how, how do you deal with it generally as a person? Are you able to sort of keep your composure and move on or many people get flustered? What's your sort of... Well, I think, you know, I mean, there's, uh, it has its challenges, but I'm quite up for that, to be quite honest with you. It's quite exciting. I mean, uh, dips and turns in the markets, in terms of business, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's what you, you know, it's a, it's a great time for certain businesses anyway. I mean, there's a lot of things coming out of or off the back of uh, downturns in markets and particularly the pandemic. Sure. We've seen so many businesses uh, that have evolved through that whole yeah. thing. And uh, so it doesn't have to be a negative all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we do quite well. The phones get busier. Uh, obviously, the need for our service increases if there's um, if money's tight in the market. Yeah. So uh, for us, it's not a negative. It's not been a negative, which is which is is a positive in a sense, right? So many people who do very well, they don't fear adversity as such. They they see it as part of the course, and it's it's almost their friend almost. And they can can and as you say, it's quite exciting, I suppose, when there's a challenge to be met, um, and it's, it's it's rising to that challenge and finding the solution. Because if it's hard for everybody, all it takes is that one person, I suppose, to think, hold on a minute, there's an idea here, like you had. It was hard for everybody, in, in, in you know, cars couldn't fill put fuel in the tanks and so on. You realised. There's actually an opportunity in it. It's just a bit of head scratching, which yeah. you did. You know, I've, I've seen it reported um, in other interviews with you where it's been said that you were in the right place at the right time. I think that does you down quite a bit, really, because many people were in the right place at that right time. They didn't do it, but you did. So what makes you different? How did you spot it where others didn't? Well, I think, you know, just having the insight into that opportunity at that particular time. I mean, yes, I was... It was a great time for this business. I'm not sure what else I would have been doing, but I think that would have been something for me. But, um, you know, I would have got my teeth into something because I'm of that nature. Mm -hmm. Sitting around twiddling your thumbs isn't, you know, that's not what I do. So um, it just so happens the concept at that particular time, the, the economically it was right and it suited my skill sets. To be honest with you, I had the finances available. It just seemed a logical move for yeah. me, but I, I couldn't tell you what I would be doing other than what I'm doing, but I'm sure I would have been doing something. something. Sure, <laughs> sure. Okay, so, and I suppose it's that fighter in you, right? And it's just not sitting still, it's not hanging around. Um, or, or in that same vein, I mean, do, you, do you ever get frightened? Uh, well, I can't deny that, you know, there's um, an edge to starting on a new venture and a, a, a certain amount of, uh, trepidation when you're entering into something that you don't fully understand, but I quite thrive on that aspect of uh, of the business, to be honest with you. So it's a case of feel that fear and do it anyway, uh, whereas many will, will will feel it and run a mile and think, well, too frightened. Yeah, I'm not really, I'm not one for the comfort zone. It's not really my thing, to yeah, be honest yeah, with you. I know it might sound bizarre, but uh, yeah, I thrive on um the unknown and challenges really to be honest with you and that's really what inspired me i mean i thought that it would be a challenging business uh, i did i was confident of success but i felt that you know i knew there would be challenges ahead and i think that uh, that all adds to the excitement really of what we do here to be yeah. honest with you so how do you manage how do you silence the the, the, the fearful thoughts that you may have at the time right the same thoughts that could talk you out of 
moving forwards and propelling yourself? How do you silence those thoughts, manage them, keep them in check and push on? Well, look, I mean, I've got a desire to do the business in the first place. So uh, as I said before, your desire for gain has got to be greater than your fear for loss. And I think it's important to, um, that carries me through. I really want to do the business. I want to find reasons to get it done. And I'm, it's a challenge. And um, it's not always about the pot of gold at the end. It's more, for me, it's more about the mechanics of the business, getting it to work. I didn't know anything about pawnbroking in 2008 when we first started thinking about this business. And it was a challenge for me to come into this sector and end up at the top of the tree in terms of um, this, you know, in terms of pawnbroking. That's where we are now. You know, we're considered the best. Uh, and there are but you had always considered that, though, really. I mean, when you first came in, people viewed you with a certain degree of scepticism. Well, they did, but I mean, the challenge for me was I, I wanted to be the best. I didn't want to just be another pawnbroker in the high street. I had it in my mind that I would be the best pawnbroker in the high street. And I'm, well, just look around, you know, I am. I am. It's not, I'm not. You're the only pawnbroker. <laughs> 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 Who else would open a pawnbroker? Around here. Yeah, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was always in my mind. I wanted to be at the top of the tree. And I felt that the concept, uh, and once it got out there, that we would eventually end up in that mm. space. Did you really care what other people thought about you in the sector when you were setting up? Well, I wasn't. I mean, I was a little bit sort of knocked really with the response it was almost sort of very dismissive of what we were trying to achieve as soon as we got a bit of notoriety and the tv came on board and we were featured on the well prior to the television uh channel 4 news um bbc world news got involved so so as soon as we started getting a little bit of notoriety then they sort of started sitting up and listening to you know and wanted to really sort of converse with us and sort of exchange ideas and some of the some of the guys that are in the sector have adapted their business to sort of encompass some of what we do so they've had to change they've realized actually look we're not just uh, we're not just here for a bit of scrap gold or the odd fob watch there's more to this and we can achieve so much more and um, that's something we are quite proud of really we've changed the industry and the the public's perception of the industry for good so, I mean, you, you've come into an industry which is quite archaic. I mean, it's been going around that this sector has been operating, what, 16th century? God knows how it is. Hundreds of years, yeah. Hundreds of years. And you've made it sexy, something which is quite stale. You've made it sexy. You've dared to try something different. Do you think you would have been worse off had you grown up in the sector, for example? Do you know what I mean? Well, you I couldn't have... fresh eyes. You, you knew nothing about it. Was that a strength or a weakness? No, I think it's 100% of a strength. Obviously, if I'd have been born to the industry through generations of pawnbroking like a lot of them have. I would have been marred with the um, with the history and with the just, you know, the conception of what we have to do to succeed. I've came I came on board not knowing anything about the history, uh, the not knowing anything about the business and how it how it functioned and really sort of um, came up with the concept of this sort of high-end asset lending and it evolved from there down to very all the minor details of how it works, all the checks, all the security checks, the appraisal process, all this is something that we had to had to evolve as we grew. Um, and you know in a way it's uh, I think learning it from scratch or coming up with a new concept like that has been definitely an asset. Um, 
there are aspects of it that you might think, well, you know, that was expensive because it took you a while to find yeah. that bit out. Yeah, but paid experience. But I, there was no reference, so there was no reference point for me. It was either suck it and see, or don't bother sucking it at all. And sure, sure. I decided to suck and see. And and you stayed with it, and and it's obviously doing really well. So you've got a number of locations now, and you're opening more locations as, as we go. Yeah, I mean we've got nine locations now. We've just opened one in the city, right near the Bank of England, in Gracechurch Street, opposite uh, Leadenhall Market. So that that's great for us. That's actually where pawnbroking began in this country. So. And we're the only pawnbroker in the square mile of the city, so that's quite an important. Was that was that a bit of a challenge trying to get that set up? Is there any rules as to why that hasn't happened before? Or? Well, I'm not sure why uh, no one is there or doing it. I guess it's just the, the market, really. I'm I'm at the top end. That's not really where they've set out. Or most of the other people in the business have set out their stall. So um, it's a nat It would it seems an obvious choice to me. Um, you know, get amongst the city traders. They've got, uh, I've got a captive audience there because they're right in the city there. So, you know, they've only, they've, their time is valuable. So to come in if they need, if they've got any sort of short-term cash flow issues or if they want to buy any luxury goods, I'm right on their doorstep and there's not much else there in the city. So, so that, that's, you know, again, you, you, you position yourself well there, hoping that will do really well. So I mean, what, what, what's next for, for, for James in, in, and what's next for Prestige? What's next for... The other ventures, what are you thinking of? What's on the horizon? Well, there's so much more I can do um, with the brand, to be quite honest with you, and it's about uh, timing. So at the moment, we just want to grow organically. We're looking at opening more stores. We've actually opened four stores during the pandemic, which is quite an achievement, which I'm proud of. So uh, we know the next five to ten years are going to be ripe for us. We're opening more, more and more stores in the UK. Um, we are in talks with... Um, People that are based abroad, there's other markets that are, that would be very um, good for us, and that's something on the horizon. Other than that, it's just growing and doing what we do, just on a larger scale as we or, or we grow organically. I'm not one of these ones, you know. As I like to, I like to sort of fill my feet, if you like, and sort of, as I said before, I like to keep a handle on everything. So I don't see it as a a brand that is in every high street. It wouldn't work for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just growing it as we, and doing what we're doing, and, and just making sure we get it right. So, what would be your advice to someone else, anyone else who's out there listening, watching, thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm, there's something I want to try, but they're a bit frightened about it. They're not quite sure. They 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 know enough about it. They don't really know the sector. It's something that excites them. However, what would you say to them? You know, what's the one thing they should really be dubbing down? Is it discipline? Is it handling their fear? Is it mindset? I mean, what would what was that one piece of advice you'd give that person to say? Well, look, if you've got the finances available, it's a great industry to get involved with. You've got to have some certain skills, but if you've got, uh, if you feel you're of that nature and you're entrepreneurial and you want to give it a go, give it a go. What can you lose? I mean. Uh, it's a great business your to. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't put your don't put your house. Uh, I wouldn't risk your house against it for sure. It's not the easiest thing to get into nowadays. To be quite honest, when I first went into it, the con, it, the whole setup process was much easier. The FCA regulations now are a lot stricter. There's a, there's a quite a few hoops to jump through. But to be honest with you, with anything you do, if you're confident and you've got the money available to you, you know, give it a go. So James, look, you, you told us. A a few times that you don't really listen to what people say you uh, it's, it's quite obvious that you 
didn't listen to when people were telling you, you know what, I'm not so sure about this. You had courage of your own convictions. And perhaps those who got the memo would have done this slightly differently, probably wouldn't have done it at all. You know, you did to be courageous. You've gone out there, you've done something that's never been done before. And I think you are fully entitled to be saying that you did not get the memo. I certainly didn't get the memo, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, look, th thanks very much. It's been brilliant. Um, and I wish you the very best going forward. I know you're going to be a round of success, but it's been great speaking to you. Lovely. Thanks, Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.